And today, Dennis Stewart joining us. And why don't we talk about diet today, Dennis? And oh, what a good idea. Good idea, Jane. One of the most recent and bad, well, we won't call it a fad diet, but it's coming, it's been coming into fashion just recently. It has. The paleo diet. To a new RFM, 16 past 12, and this is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's new Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And, of course, Dennis Stewart would love to take your calls. If you want to be feeling good, we want you to feel good. Give us a call with your question for Dennis Stewart today on Health Naturally, 49216216, if you've got a good question for him. In the meantime, diets. Now, diets come and Mm. diets go and the Mm. paleo diet, we've heard quite a lot about that over the last little while. Um, Is it just a fad or is it really useful? Look, I've thought a lot about this, Jane, but after having read a lot of the literature on the paleo diet, what it seeks to do is to get us all thinking of the original diet that our paleolithic ancestors uh, lived by. What it is basically is an attempt, to particularly to convince Western people, that it is possible to maintain good health by going back to simples and getting away from a lot of those things that have been brought into the diet over the recent decades, even hundreds of years. What is the paleo diet? Well, essentially, it was developed by a gastroenterologist known as Walter Voigtlin. He was one of the first uh, scientists in 1975, who suggested that following a Paleolithic-style diet uh, could be the key to better health. And his ideas were taken up subsequently by another scientist, Professor Lauren Cordain. She was professor at Colorado State University, who published a series of papers uh, defending and pointing out the benefits of the Paleolithic diet for health and even for managing certain what we might call civilizational conditions, obesity, diabetes, etc. So what does a Paleolithic diet basically say? In quoting from a book that I found quite useful in in studying the the whole Paleolithic um, diet idea is a book written by Daniel Green. I'll, I'll mention his name again. Daniel Green's book, The Paleo Diet, Food for your food your body is designed to eat. It's not an expensive book. It's very well written, very sensible. There's not a lot of extreme um, rah-rah material in it. He approaches it very well indeed. I was impressed by it. And he said, the core principles of the paleo diet are that the diet of our paleolithic ancestors provides the blueprint for what and how we should eat today getting away from grains, dairy products, legumes and vegetable oils and eating high-quality meat, fish, eggs, fruit, vegetables, nuts and seeds. Now, some people might raise their eyebrows when uh, the diet encourages, if you like, a retreat uh, from a lot of grain foods, breads and things such as that and a retreat from dairy products, milk and things like that. But the argument is that these foods were not part of the Paleolithic diet. These were foods that were introduced in the history of man's development by various societies and civilizations. and yet the argument is 
that the human body is not changed from Paleolithic times, and a lot of these new foods place a degree of stress on the body, which manifests itself particularly in functional diseases, a lot of bloating, what we call irritable bowel syndromes. And, and many patients and clients of mine who vouch for the Paleolithic diet vouch for it on the basis that switching over to this idea of getting away from things uh, based on or incorporating gluten, getting away from uh, uh, milk products, retreating back to the staples of Paleolithic diet, that that has freed them from many functional conditions, particularly, I emphasise, gut conditions, irritability of the bowel, etc., The argument is also that if one retreats to the Paleolithic diet by adhering to the food groups and the ideas, that inevitably there will be some weight loss. There will be some improvement in one's blood sugar levels. Due to the lessening amount of salt in the diet, this will also lead, hopefully, to a mild reduction in blood pressure. So there are benefits particularly outlined in this book by Daniel Green, which encourage anyone who wants to do something safe, safe and non-medical, about their health to take on board. What it basically does also is say this, that in retreating back to the simple foods of the Paleolithic ancestors that we all came from or come from, uh, this means also getting away from and retreating from eating foods which have new substances in them. A lot of the prepared foods, the packaged foods, the preserved foods, processed foods. And that's what I like about this diet also, Jane. It emphasises something that you and I have discussed on many occasions, that a lot of our health problems are associated with uh, foods that have been manufactured and incorporate many newer substances that arguably in the context of the Paleolithic diet our bodies have not adjusted to. That's really what I like about it. There is a degree of controversy about it, but I challenge people out there to approach it, read it. In many ways, it means getting back, if you like, to the simpler diet that our generation, Jane, was raised on. Fresh fruits and veggies, good quality meat, fish, eggs, uh, those staples of the diet, albeit controversially retreating from grain foods, breads, etc., that contain gluten, and retreating also from the concentrated dairy products. They're the controversial components. Outside of that, not a bad diet. Health Naturally, for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre, taking your calls on 49216216. And Sandra's rung in from Ellamore Vale. And something to do with muscle loss. You're a bit worried about some of the effects of ageing, Sandra. <laughs> Yes, that's one of my questions. I, well, most of my diet seems to be the paleo diet that Mm -hmm. um, Dennis has just been talking about, but I uh, also exercise, do weights, Mm -hmm. but as I'm getting older, I'm losing a lot of muscle, Mm -hmm. and I was wondering what could be causing it or what I can do. Uh, Sandra, um, losing weight and, and a little bit of muscle is not unusual as we as we get older. But in traditional systems of medicine, that is something that's always resisted by using a bracket of herbs and certain foods. Yeah. So, so rather than itemise everything that I'd like to get over to you, I'm going to say, are you conversant with the computer? No, I'm sorry. Okay, well, it doesn't matter. Um, what I was going to suggest is that um, the ideas of the Ayurvedic physicians on ageing 
on ageing are extraordinary and so extraordinary that I ran a postgraduate program on Ayurveda um, a number of years ago because it addresses some of these things for which Western medicine doesn't always have the answer. And Ayurveda, A-Y-U-R-V-E-D-A, write that down, you'll be able to get something from the library on it. Ayurveda has a useful recommendation of foods and diet for people that are in an ageing situation where, where loss of weight uh, and, and loss of hair and things like that are characteristic. There are a group of foods. Um, I'll give you an example of some which are very highly recommended uh, in Ayurveda as good foods to address this problem. Just mm-hmm. a couple, just a couple, but I would challenge you and listeners generally who are interested in looking at a concept of medicine and healing and an age-resisting to look at what's called Ayurveda. Um, yes. it's, it's going to be what one of my uh, friends, the pharmacy friends in Melbourne said, would be the new tsunami sweeping into complementary medicine because it addresses a lot of the gaps that no system up to this point has adequately met. And it's basically saying that depending on what age bracket you're in, where you're at in life, you need to be accelerating uh, certain foods and uh, lessening other foods. Now, for for example, uh, a good one would be, say, a yam. Now, we don't eat many yams, but yams are a very, very significant uh, anti-aging food in traditional cultures, particularly right. in Asia, uh, Asia. Foods like, for instance, sweet potato. Yes, I eat them. Oh, and I eat it considerably. Yeah. Um, uh, rice would be considered to be another food that, oh, okay. uh, that you should take on board as a means of resisting some of the, the stresses associated with ageing. Right. Uh, these are all foods that are part of a program designed in Ayurveda. And look, for you and other listeners uh, who might be interested in this and to save me the the time of going through it in detail, write to my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton and just mention Ayurveda Diet. And I will send out to you free of charge information on this fascinating topic that I could talk about all day because being probably in a being probably in a similar age bracket to yourself I take on board exactly what I'm saying to you and make sure that uh, the the food group that Ayurveda talks about that I largely follow and also and also let me emphasize there are a couple of herbs which in Ayurvedic medicine are considered to be very appropriate for lessening mm-hmm. some of the deteriorating factors associated with ageing, such as loss of muscle tone, etc. And Is that nails included too? It would indeed, because nails, okay. nails and hair. But probably one of the most important remedies is a herb called Eclipto alba. I'll spell it for you. Yes. I'm going fast because uh, there's a lot to get through. But Eclipto alba, E-C-L-I-P-T-A, Eclipta. Alba, A-L-B-A. Yeah. That is one of the most outstanding herbs used in Ayurvedic medicine to address, right. if you like, the whole concept of ageing and lessening some of the ravages of ageing. Another a remarkable remedy that would be used is what the Asians refer to as Shatavari. That's its Sanskrit name. But uh, asparagus race mosa, A-S-P-R-A. A-G-U-S, close enough, asparagus race mosa. It is another herb used in the Asian tradition to resist some of what you're talking about. And, of course, the use of the ginsengs, Panax ginseng particularly, is another one. So there are three herbs which I consider to be useful and for which I've observed in my 35 years 
as helping some people stave off some of these things that uh, start to affect us all. I would have liked to be a little bit more specific, but I've directed you, do a little bit of reading on Ayurveda, foods to resist ageing, and think about those herbs that I've mentioned. Okay, then. Thank you very much for your help. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. And, of course, if you've got a question for Dennis, you can put it to him. 49216216. And, uh, Dennis, we might come back. Well, I mean, that's a whole topic in itself, too, isn't it? It is indeed. I would have liked to have elaborated a lot more on that. We might have time to, but one of these days we'll spend a whole session just looking at the principles of Ayurveda and how it can be taken on board by any society, any system of healing, Uh, some of the novel concepts that go back to 2,000 years before Christ and linger on in medical colleges that are government-sponsored in South Asia today. This is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre, talking about diet but talking about lots of other things, your questions as well involved, and 49216216 is the number for you to ring. That's what Jill did from Karua and fibrosis of the hands, Jill. That's your problem? Yes. Oh, hello, Jill. Oh, how are you? you? I went to the doctors yesterday Mm. and um, I was discussing other things that was wrong with me and I said, what's these things popping out of my hands? And he said it was fibrosis and he had the same thing and it was popular with alcoholics. <laughs> we had a good hour. We had a good laugh and we'll fill in each other's lumps. But he said, um, yeah, apparently um, cervical cancer is um, popular with prostitutes as well, but never mind. Now, what can I do to fix this fibrosis of my hands? Because I'm a hard-working nurse. That's <laughs> That's that's a tough one. I'm I'm still still recovering. We laughed and laughed. I'm I'm still recovering from the from the context that you placed all those things in. Must have been a very novel discussion you had with your GP. That's good. I'm pleased to hear about it. Look, um, yeah. Off the top of my, my head, there's no easy solution. Because I but... said, is there any herbs, spices? What can I do to fix this thing? Because I'm a bit worried about it all. Okay. Well, look, um, there may be some help in what's called the Blackmore's Celloid range, C-E-L-L-O-I-D. The Blackmore's Celloid... So I can pop into your, oh, your yes. well, clinic? You, you may well be able to get them not, from your... Because I can't write it down, and I'm okay. not going to um, <laughs> invade on anybody else's topic. <laughs> well, so I can pop in and see yeah, you and show yeah. you my problem? Oh, I'd be loved, I'd love to see the problem you've got, <laughs> albeit we won't, we won't yeah, go into the context of it. Said, You're a bright little button. Oh, well, that was nice, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think the best thing to do is pop in and we'll take this up. <laughs> At least one thought. Anyway, one part of it. Well, thanks Thanks for your call, Jill. Even though I've got the fibrosis, so I can come in and show you my hands and that. Oh, yes, I'd love to see your hands. Yes, I'd love to see your <laughs> hands. Alma Road, New Lambton. Yeah, yeah, it's a good spot. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. That sounds as though it's um, well on the way. Now, Coral rang in from West Wall's End as well, um, and she's got dry eyes. Hi, Dennis. She didn't want to talk about it, but she mm. wants you to. Look, it's a tough one. This this condition is, is um, usually associated with what can be called Sjogren's syndrome, which also manifests itself in other dryness symptoms. There's a little bit of um, evidence or a little bit of confidence placed in using, over a period of time, a good doses of either flaxseed oil or the fish oils. I have had a number of clients and patients who claim that since they've supplemented 
their diet with either one of those oils, usually coming in capsule form, that there had been some improvement in the dryness of their eyes. Now, I know this is controversial, and there will be many ophthalmologists out there that will be shaking their head. I can only go on what people tell me when they present and what I've heard over 35 years, certainly using the fish oils or flaxseed oils with their unique uh, characteristics, um, has benefits across the board. Uh, For that lady, I would suggest a quiet perseverance in using some fish oils, and when I say a quiet perseverance, not over a week or so, but over quite a number of months. Mm, some of these things do take time. And, and of course, topical management, which is probably already uh, doing with, with drops and, and things like that, uh, should be um, su- suggested or discussed with, with the GP or the pharmacist, because even though a condition like this is difficult to manage or resolve, um, topical treatment can g- give relief. So I'm sure this dear lady is, has been doing something with a GP or a pharmacist to ameliorate the problem, but treating it systemically, perhaps try the fish oils or the flaxseed. Well, thanks for your call, Coral. And 49216216 is the number for your question for Dennis Stewart. And uh, we've been talking about diet, mm. Dennis, and we talked about the paleo diet, sure. which is probably sure. one of the more recent sure. ones that have come out. Are there any going back in time a little bit that mm. still have mm. some value? Well, look, it's very interesting. Um, year, years ago, uh, when I first um, started uh, to study natural medicine and natural approaches, one of the first um, diets that I was confronted with, with the diet developed by a Swiss doctor, Dr. Ralph Berker, and um, he was a medical practitioner in Europe in the late 19th century, I believe, who was uh, discouraged at the way in which European medicine uh, sought to address many common problems in European society, chronic disease in other words. And he argued that a lot of the chronic diseases that were existing in Europe at that time, and presumably still do today, had a lot to do with diet and particularly the foods that people ate. And so he developed what is still a well-known approach, and that is a diet that emphasised, if you like, a retreat, particularly from the uh, staples and the overindulged foods of Europe. He developed a vegetarian uh, or mildly lacto-vegetarian diet, certainly a great deal of emphasis on fresh fruits and vegetables, a retreat uh, from meat and flesh foods, controversial as it is, and um, he brought people into his sanitariums and inevitably many people got results, losing weight, uh, skin improved, and many chronic diseases, psoriasis, arthritis, etc., were dramatically improved. And as a result of that, his ideas on lacto-vegetarianism spread around the world, and even to this day, there are what are called Berkebetter clinics, particularly in Switzerland, uh, which are expensive, but to which people retreat to take on board that therapy to address many diseases that haven't responded to the mainstream medical approaches, which is largely based on drug therapy. The diet that I was particularly interested in for my own purpose, and which to this day I claimed uh, helped me break through many, many years of eczema, was a diet that was developed by a Scandinavian doctor called Dr. Ari Wehrland, W-A-E-R-L-A-N-D. Um, he was a radical medical practitioner also. It's interesting, um, Jane, when you uh, think about it, and I wrote a paper for a medical journal years ago on this, that 
most of the ideas in, in naturopathy have in fact come from dissenting medical practitioners. It's not something that has been developed uh, by lay people. A lot of the ideas that are practiced within naturopathy or traditionally practiced in naturopathy have come from dissenting medical practitioners who look for something other than just prescribing drugs. And Whelan was one of those who subscribed largely to the ideas of Berkebena, but um, believed a lot also in what might be referred to as periodic fasting. Uh, Berkebena didn't seem to emphasize that, but Whelan did and had a very stringent uh, vegetarian emphasis with some sour milk products, yoga, etc. And as a young man, uh, I was stricken with, with eczema and battled it for many, many years with uh, what is still largely the treatment today, um, oral steroids, topical steroids, etc. It was the discovery, it was the discovery in the Theosophical Bookshop in Bly Street, Sydney, which I frequented very, very frequently as a young uh, engineer, where I should have been at work, I was at the bookshop. I discovered that book and took on board the section from his book entitled Rebuilding Health, which I still have proudly in my office at Alma Road, I took on board verbatim his program for treating expert and psoriasis. And I took a month or six weeks off work, so stricken was I with eczema, and took on board his program and went back to work six weeks later free of my eczema. And it has never really seriously asserted itself subsequently, and I put a lot of that down to dietary ideas that might seem radical uh, but which helped me dramatically and to a large extent uh, encouraged me to move from engineering into complementary or naturopathic medicine. So there are two diets. The Berkebener diet still practiced and utilised in, in, in Europe today and the Whelan diet, which is popular in Scandinavian countries, developed in the idea of Ari Whelan. Both of these medical practitioners strongly, strongly dissenting from the Western diet with its indulgences, its high levels of protein, its fat content, um, its alcohol dependence, and moving towards a, a natural diet devoid of flesh foods. Both of them uh, went to diets devoid of flesh foods, emphasizing what we've been talking about today, fresh fruit and vegetables as the basis of it, and with, uh, with Wayland, even uh, some um, recommendation of fasting, which I carried out. By the way, a technique or a practice that's sadly, sadly overlooked today in addressing many health problems. Well, speaking of psoriasis, as we were in skin problems, mm. Kathleen's rung in on 49216216 from Birmingham Gardens with a question on psoriasis. Hello, Kathleen. Oh, hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. Good. How can I help um, you? Yes, um, I'm actually ringing on behalf of my sister who doesn't live in Newcastle, oh, okay. but I listen to yep. your program yes, and I, yes. I wanted to ask you. Yes. Um, she's got psoriasis yes. and... Um, my mother has two, yes. but um, recently she got her legs sunburnt, yes. and um, so, well, not recently, six weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they've caused a, a very itchy rash, which is not going away, and she thinks it's connected to the psoriasis. And just recently, the psoriasis kind of spread, and now he's covering her stomach mm. and some of the areas that it wasn't. And she was just seeing if we could... Um, you know, isolate, is there any herbal remedies or absolutely anything or diet or 
Well, Kathleen, presumably your sister in such a distressed state would be uh, either being treated by a general practitioner or a dermatologist? Yes, okay. she has been, yes. And is she still on medication for that? Um, not really. She's okay. got some of her own home remedies that she okay. takes herself. There are times when it's a lot worse, and usually they're yes. times of stress. Yes, I can understand it. Look, anyone that tells you that psoriasis is, is easy to treat, in my opinion, is having you on, but there are some approaches in, uh, in herbal and naturopathic medicine which are useful, put it that way. So so what I'm going to do is mention to you a couple of little things that I have no problem in and no hesitation recommending that you try. They're, in, they're inexpensive and as far as I'm aware would not conflict even with some of the immunosuppressant medication that your sister might be taking. First of all, first of all, any herb that is recommended for psoriasis must have some credible documentation. Therefore, it's, it's a waste of time just listening to what people say and taking it on board and hoping that it'll work. If you're going to use a herb, the best thing to do is to look at the herbs recommended in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. That is the, the, the Bible of modern medical herbalism developed in the UK in the, in the mid-80s and still the basis of, of Western herbal medicine today. In that book, the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, there are a number of herbs recommended to be persevered with for addressing psoriasis. I'll mention three of them for you mm-hmm. in, in order of preference. Interestingly, the most uh, highly recommended one is, is the herb sarsaparilla. Now, some people think it's a cordial. Well, like, like licorice, some people think it's a confectionery. Both, however, are essentially herbs. And sarsaparilla is highly regarded in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, even for very active psoriasis. It needs to be persevered with. It's not something like a steroid that tomorrow is going to get rid of it or an immunosuppressant drug. It needs to be persevered with over quite a number of weeks or months. But I've had some good results over the years with patients who have persevered with the liquid extract. Let me emphasize the liquid, uh-huh. em- the liquid extract uh-huh. of sarsaparilla prescribed in the stipulated dose. If your sister was interested in following it up, I'd be happy to send her the monograph uh, from the pharmacopoeia on that. There are two other herbs that are confidently used and some degree of documentation and certainly called up in what I'm referring to. The other one is an American herb called Oregon Mountain Grape. Uh-huh. Lovely name, Oregon Mountain Grape. I've actually grown it on my property in the Hunter Valley, okay. uh, technically known as Berberus aquifolium. Now, it contains a particular alkaloid, berberine, which has both a topical and an oral use in addressing this problem. And frequently when I prescribe for psoriasis, I will put the two herbs together in a liquid formulation. There are two herbs. The other one is a herb also that I had great results with uh, many, many years ago uh, in addressing this problem in a nursing sister uh, who saw me in Brisbane. This is probably going back 25 years and who who, uh, was very significantly ravaged with psoriasis and we based a treatment around the European herb called clivers, C-L-I-V-E-R-S. Okay, those, those Those three herbs are still the backbone of my liquid prescribing. I emphasize also, in the context of this, the quiet perseverance with high doses of fish oils. Okay. High yep. doses of the fish oils. And I use and recommend and prescribe to my patients and clients uh, a cream that I pride myself on having developed called the GA Complex 
cream, the GA complex cream, which is not a cure but certainly a useful agent in helping to clear some of the uh, psoriasis lesions. Um, that is available from my rooms at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. Mm. M- mention that to your sister. I will. I, I know the distress she's going through. As I said earlier, I got into this profession as a result of a skin disorder. Um, I know the distress she's working with. I mm. have seen a lot of psoriasis in my life. She must be very distressed, but there, there may be a little bit of help in that for her, Kathleen. And what about the herbs, sarsaparilla, Oregon? Can we get those from your... Um, where does, where your, does she live? Well, she lives in Lismore, but I'm in Newcastle. Well, she, so she, could... she would be able... Look, I have taught so many, so many, many people in, in Lismore over the years, um, herbal medicine, many of whom did my programs. There would be pharmacies there that would have a dispensary as good as mine. And if she were to go along into Lismore, um, one of them would probably be one of my graduates. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a health food store up there called Fundamental Foods. Yeah, um, I'm sure um, that health food store uh, is, is run by one of my graduates that I taught way, way back in, in the 80s. She'd be able to get those herbs in a liquid form up there together with the other supplements. Of course, if she can't, if she can't, you can always uh, come to our dispensary at 39 Alma Road, New Lambton. Health Naturally at the moment on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And we're checking the weather most briefly. And uh, we're looking at a cloudy day, maybe a shower, maybe a thunderstorm. It's now 23 degrees at Cam's Wharf. And that's for our sponsor, the Hunter Motor Group, Maitland, for new Honda, Subaru, Volkswagen, nice Suzu Utes. But we're back to your calls on Health Naturally now. And Jean joins us from Manor. Park, flaxseed. You want to take that together with an anticoagulant drunk is, uh, drug, is that right, Jean? Well, I am doing at the moment. I just wanted Dennis to tell me if, the, if I'm doing the wrong thing. How long have you been taking it for, Jean? The, the drug? No, the, the flaxseed. Oh, I've been taking the flaxseed for... I only started it about probably two months ago, a month ago, two months, but I've only just started taking drug which they've insisted because I've got atrial fibrillation okay look um, <laughs> and flaxseed and and um and fish oil may have may have some uh, anticoagulant activity now I say may have a lot would be dependent upon how much of it you were using um and how long you've been using it for uh, have you noticed any benefit from using it yet Yes, actually, my arthritis has definitely improved. Okay. Look, what I would suggest you do is mention it to your medical managers. I uh, did. Uh, and what was their comment? He said he'd never heard for that. Okay. Look, it's, it's, in, it's in the literature. Flaxseed oil and fish oil share some chemical constituents, and there's just a little bit of um, concern in some conservative literature that there may be a contribution uh, made to, to anticoagulant activity. I will be honest and say that I have seen many, 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 many patients and clients who have been using anticoagulant medication and taking fish oils or flaxseed oils and have not noticed or have not been recognised as having uh, any problems associated with that. Uh, oh, but, but what I would say is um, you should let your medical managers know so that at least they know what you are doing. Um, yes. But uh, I can't say yay or nay. All I can say is that I have not seen any evidence 
um, amongst my patients or clients over many years uh, as a result of any interactions occurring, albeit the literature does give a little bit of a caution. Oh, thanks for that, Jean. Hope that that puts your mind at rest. Peter joins us from Aberdeen, and there's pain you've got in one of your hands. Hello, Peter. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Tell me about your hand, Peter. Yeah, on my right hand, it's slowly been getting worse, and my middle finger, the knuckle joint, yes. is, is tightening up and is very tender to touch. Okay. And my finger is, is um, like bent and stiff in the morning. Yes. It loosens up during the day. Have you seen your GP about it? No, I haven't. I think you should. Yeah. It, it, um, it may not be just a simple case of uh, inflammation. There might be something happening there with, with tendons and some of the connective tissue. What I, yep. what I suggest you do in the short term, however, to give yourself a little bit of comfort, uh, we'll send to you free of charge some stiff, sore and sorry. Now, it's a topical application, very useful indeed, developed by a couple of my colleagues here in the in the Hunter region. We'll send you some of that to apply to the area, but even if you get some relief from the discomfort, let your GP have a look at it first before it gets any further. Get a diagnosis, and then we might be able to make a recommendation for some alternative oral therapy. But if you hang on, the producer will get your name and address, and we'll happily send to you some stiff sore and sorry to see if that gives you a little bit of relief. Thank you for your call and good luck with that, Peter. And last call for today, Dennis Marion from Y.E. Point. Um, vitamin B12. Now, are you a Vegemite eater, Marion? No, I'm not, no. <laughs> I have a bit on toast sometimes, but not very much. Are you on, vit- are you on vitamin B12, are you, Marion? No, Dennis. Um, what I'm actually inquiring about, yeah. I, I've just moved into the area and I okay. had some few tests done. Yes. I don't take any medication. I eat lots of fruit and veggies yeah. and all that kind of thing. But yeah. my doctor that I saw told me that my vitamin B12 was very low. Uh-huh. Now, she wanted to put me on medica- uh, injections, but I've asked her if I can do a couple of months by doing it by myself. And, and I just need some information on what is best for me to get that vitamin B12 back up. Do you eat meat? I do, yes. And yep. si- significant amounts of it? I do. I try to eat as much as I can um, with everything being so expensive, but I do try and get bits of beef and lamb and all that kind of thing, yes. I think the, the diet is the most important thing to be looking at, but to, to be yep. fair, a, a, a vitamin B12 supplement taken in the short term, might just get your levels up to an acceptable level, which can be then kept at that by a little bit yeah. more adherence to, to the foods that we've mentioned. I wouldn't, be yeah. a, I wouldn't be opposed to you being onto a B12 supplement with your doctor right. monitoring it. Yeah, okay. So that is a, an alternative that I can have? I'm sure you can uh, go to your pharmacist, uh, yeah. tell, him, tell him the story you've told me, and say, yeah. that, say that you want a good vitamin B12 supplement to take yourself so that yeah. your doctor can monitor any improvement that comes with it. Okay, and that's about all we have time for today. Thank you, Marion. Good luck, and thank you, Dennis Stewart. Uh, just a quick one. You say you're a monarchist? I am. God save the Queen. I'll tell you why. Henry VIII had, um, in his final years, very, very bad ulcerous syphilitic legs. No one could cure them. The doctors, with all their bleeding and potions, nearly killed him. 
one of his, his final wife came along and healed them with herbs. And as a result of that, he gave what's called the Herbless Charter. And ever since that time, Herbalists have been great supporters of the monarchy because from Henry VIII onward, members of the royal family have supported various radical, terrible alternative ideas. And from what I understand, Her Majesty uh, used to have and prob- probably still does have a homeopathic physician. That's why I'm a monarchist. They are supporters of this deviant, terrible system of natural medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dennis Stewart, and that's Health Naturally for today. And, uh, well, join us again next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM.